1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the No Bad Dogs podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Tom Davis, America's canine educator, and today we have Blake Rodriguez out of the dog training company out of New York City called Dream Come True Canine. Welcome, Blake, to the show. Blake, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on, and you own a business called Dream Come True Canine, correct? Correct. Very, very good. Tell me a little bit about what you do, how long you've been doing it, where you're doing it. Give me the, give me the, the details.
2: Awesome. Yeah. So, um, I have a two-floor dog training facility in uh, the Big Apple, New York City. Uh, but it didn't start that way. Uh, right now I have a team of eleven, I believe, including myself. And, awesome. um, Really, what the goal of of dog training is for me w- was just to strengthen the relationship between the dog owner and the dog who, for the most part, always love one another, but are still struggling. Right. And that, that's sort of been like, um, almost a recurring theme and kind of trend that you realize is there has always been this belief that, and and not to say that this doesn't happen, but there's always been this belief that like, if a dog is aggressive, it must have been abused. If a dog and, and like in, right. in, in the definition or the sense of of abuse, meaning like somebody went out of their way to to like purposely try to do that um, or the dog must have had a traumatic past, something must have have happened. And, and the truth is majority of the dogs that are coming through our facility from literally all over the world haven't really had that experience that people think. It's come from the very owners that love them. And that doesn't mean that those owners are bad. They're they're just struggling. And majority of the time what we see is people love their dog. They just don't know how to love their dog in a way that benefits the dog. Right. So that's what we that's what we try to change. We try to show them how to actually love their dog. And a lot of that really starts with creating a relationship that's based off of clear communication. Right. You you really can't tell the dog yes, no, hot, cold, good, bad if dialogue can't flow. So for me the belief of the more information you give your dog, the easier it is for them to be successful. That's that, that's something that I really stand by.
1: Yeah. No, that's, that's great. That sounds, yeah, that sounds a lot like uh, some of the stuff that I preach too, and I, I really support that. That's, um, that's fantastic. And wh- um, Blake, what did, when did you start, uh, dream- was dream come true the first name for your, for your business or did it start at earlier stages? When did you start this whole project and business?
2: That's pretty funny actually. So officially I LLC'd the company in when was it? February of 2011, <clears throat> Cool. But the the brick and mortar, uh, this September will be four years. So so it took a while to actually get the facility. I actually started walking dogs, and really cool story. I didn't go to school for dog training. I didn't. You know that's not something that was originally in my plans. I basically had a dog, and I was seeing this this girl in college on and off. And at one point, uh, that girl is now my wife, by the way, but <laughs> <Cool>. at, one, <laughs> at one point she goes, Hey, we should totally get a dog. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, you know, when, when things get serious, we, we should totally get a dog. And like two weeks later, I get a text message, a picture, look at our dog. <laughs> and we were kind of, we were kind of doing long distance at, at that point. Um, and, uh, that's what kind of sparked it. I, I had an interest in dogs before, but I was never, allowed a dog growing up my dad always said listen dog owning a dog is more than just walking and feeding that and until you're old enough to know that like we really don't want to give you this dog and more importantly I, I think my dad really knew the attachment that would become associated and didn't want me kind of experiencing you know that loss so early on maybe I don't know yeah but um but my family um uh, in Staten Island always had these big dogs and we would go over there for Sunday dinners. And, um, my dad was never really afraid of dogs, but you can just say that he respected their capabilities and he he was always sort of like, Oh, you know, watch out for the dog or, or, or just come over here or leave the dog alone. But my cousins were always like, no, 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 come play with the dog. Check this out. If you tell it to sit, you tell it to do this, you tell it to do that, it would listen. I always found it super fascinating that this Rottweiler that, what you figure weighs 150 to 200 pounds that that depending on the dog um i'm maybe six years old i don't know maybe nine years old that Mm -hmm. rottweiler could eat me for breakfast if it wanted to but when i'm telling it to do something it is so i think that's initially what sparked it but then when i got my own dog i was faced with with the everyday responsibilities of of trying to be a a good dog owner and through that comes the struggle of of trial and error so i had a great dog but And the butts were, he pulled on leash. The butts were, he was great off leash until he wasn't and he took (laughs) off. Um, You know what I mean? All of these things, we we would leave him alone. He was fine until the day that we came and he went through the trash. Or he, um, funny story, uh, when Lindsay was kind of watching him while I was here in New York, I actually, no, I was, she was watching him, but um, we got to kind of leaving him alone. And when she came back to the apartment, all of her carpet. Her whole apartment was kind of carpeted. It was gone. Oh, boy. It was just, like, torn up and, like, ate. It was just, like, I went through a lot of stuff. And a lot of people don't know that is that most of where I come from comes from a place of vulnerability. Like, I've been there. I had this dog that gave me these issues. So... I don't know if it's my competitive side. I don't know what it is, but I I, I refuse to believe that this was the breed or the age or or a, a result of like you know how the dog was brought up or what happened before it because we got the dog at five weeks. There was no excuses like mm-hmm. anything that this dog was going through. Like it, it had to have been in some way tied to what I was doing or what I wasn't doing. And I wanted to learn all that I could in order to to get the relationship better. I I, I didn't want to the butts I wanted to get rid of the butts if right. that makes sense
1: yeah no so, it does it does
2: yeah so like going through learning some things that's at a time where you got to remember Facebook was was still maybe just branching out to not just college kids right so it, it really wasn't the, the networking platform that it is is today, and you, you basically just had YouTube. You had YouTube, you had Season Milan, you had The Dog Whisperer on TV, and, and you had some books and stuff. And between reading books and watching videos and kind of watching TV, I started doing what I was seeing. Mm-hmm. And some things were working, some things weren't. And I was like, "Oh, this is really cool." I would kind of stick with that for a little bit. And when I would stick with that. Um, I, I would almost find its limitation or I would read something or watch something that contradicted and bashed and ridiculed that method. So I'm like, oh, well, if that's mm-hmm. not the good way. Mm-hmm. Let me learn about this. So I started learning about this and I was like, wow, this is really cool because it helps you with these things. And and just when I thought I was on on like the right track, the next video that I would watch a ridicule and bash right. that. So I quickly kind of found that there was uh, dog training was almost how martial arts was mixed martial arts originally with the first first ufc you had a lot of specialists a lot of people that like specialize in just one form of martial arts specialized in this what you see now is is ufc is is really kind of um uh, uh, emerging into something more complex and specialists are a dying breed because you have certain mma fighters who are are well-versed in a variety of martial arts. right? So I, I, I kind of almost take dog training and methodologies very similar to martial arts at a time where one person swears by just jujitsu, one person swears by just Muay Thai, just Taekwondo, mm-hmm. just this, just that. I was little by little with dog training, learning a little bit and piecing it together. So I, my approach when people ask me, I don't really try to label myself as this trainer or that, but I really do want to be the Bruce Lee of dog training who kind of started MMA, if you think about it. And, and hopefully it continues to grow well, well beyond me, which it seems that it already has, but that's kind of been my approach. I wanted to kind of be the the Bruce Lee of dog training where I wasn't just limiting myself to one way only.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point.
2: Yeah. And and what started happening was I, I started fixing my dog. I mean, and to this day, he's my best rehab case, and I'm a little bit bummed because I have no video footage to, to prove mm-hmm. it. So now, now, now it's just hearsay and, and fisherman tales, and me yeah. talking about how bad <laughs> he was. Like he had dog aggression. He got attacked by a dog a couple of times. He was an obsessive barker. This, that, the third. You know, I, I dealt with it all, and um, now people see him and, and they don't believe it. And 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 just like anything else people want to be quick to say oh you're so lucky not realizing the hard work that goes into it and that you see that a lot with people that are successful in their business with people that are successful with this that or the third everyone kind of use it almost as like they hit the luck not realizing that those people worked to get there yeah. there, there are some exceptions but for the most part that they, they don't see it almost it's almost like an overnight success and yeah. they don't see what actually went into it before that overnight success you know
1: yeah, man. I, I, I feel that. Yeah. I always tell people, um, whenever I, whenever I hear that, um, man, you're so lucky you get to work with dogs all day and man, you know, you're living, living this, living that. And it's like, it's like the 10 year overnight success that nobody sees. Um, exactly. It's, exactly. It's the, it's the, is this going to work? Holy crap. This is overwhelming. I don't know what I'm doing. Should I stop? You know these mm-hmm. these types of things will get in the way, and um, I relate to that a lot too. Because that's kind of I mean, you and I hearing your story is is really uh, inspiring to me because it's it's very similar um, kind of to mine. Is I had a dog and I, I wanted to learn a little bit more, and I like you said watched. We're probably how old are you, Blake? We're probably around the same. I'm, age. I'm uh
2: 32 now. Yeah,
1: yeah. So we're right around the same age. I'm 29. Awesome. Um, and so it's the same thing. I, yeah, I grew up with not a lot of d- tutorials on, uh, on everything. And even back then YouTube wasn't big in, on dog training as much as it is now, but there's contrast. Some of the stuff, you know, that goes around isn't L- like you said. So let, let me ask you this, uh, moving forward now that you touch base on, um, you know, how you started and, and where you started, um, which is really, really great. And I think some of the, some of the some of the best people on in any industry, whether you're a cook or you're a singer or uh, uh, martial arts or a dog trainer, they start kind of organically, just how you were just describing um, mm. about, you know. Well, I want to learn a little bit more. It wasn't. I want to go out and be a dog trainer, and that's that's how I've talked to a, a couple other people on the show and myself. It was like I don't really want to be a dog trainer. I don't. I just want to learn more. And then eventually, what you do is you you get really good at it, and you realize man, you yep. know, I could kind of start a career here. And um, so what's your if, – if somebody were to ask you, say, hey, Blake, um, you know, if they emailed you or called you as a, as a business owner, um, they say, hey, Blake, what are, your, what are your methods, what are your techniques? Because the listeners out there, Blake, are, are dog people from, from all over the world. And so listening in on, on your story and your business, what would you tell the listeners uh, and myself if somebody were to say, what's your techniques, what's your methods? What would you, how would you answer that?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I, I, I think overall I'm not trying to limit myself to one way or another. So if they're looking for kind of the generic answer, like I'm this type of trainer or that type of trainer, that that's not something that they're going to get. But if I was to tell them about my methods, it, 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 it's really not limiting yourself to one tool or another, but rather understanding the science behind how dogs learn and how they operate and utilizing tools and certain methodologies, um, understanding how every tool and, and, and method can be applied in, in some situations um and, and, and in some situations apply differently than you would apply it in, in another situation or context to, to get to your overall goal of getting your message across clearly regardless yeah. of what that message is some people are really great at at getting certain messages across but not others but I want to get to a point my method is 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 really clear communication and understanding what clear communication can actually be right a lot of people don't realize you know that you can communicate through things that you use every day understanding how how to create conditioned responses and benefit from understanding how how patterns are created versus unintentionally reinforcing or, or, or you know, nurturing certain patterns that you're actually going to the dog trainer to fix, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I, um, I, I see that a lot too here is um, I, I really focus on, you know, if your dog comes in with some some very, um, I guess, common um, bad behaviors, pulling on the leash, jumping, overexcited excited Uh, things like that, a lot of the times I tell people, well, if you can't, if you can't, walk your dog on a leash. That's where we have to start. I mean, your relationship yep. is, is crap. I mean, if you're, if mm-hmm. you're walking down the road and your dog's pulling you, there's a good chance you and your dog are not on the same page. So I can, yep. I can relate a lot to what you're saying is that's exactly um, what I do too. I said, wait a minute, your, your relationship kind of sucks. I mean, we have to, yeah. let's rewind a little bit. And then um, I find, and, and maybe you can chime in on this. I find a lot of times, um, you know, the whole family will be here for the training session and we start opening doors that, really needed to be open within the mechanics and, uh, quote-unquote, the pack, if you will, of the whole family, where their whole, whole communication, whether it's kids to mom or mom to husband or husband to wife or whatever it may be, all needs to start changing because the dog is suffering from that.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's another thing that's really important. Um, until I really know clients, unless they absolutely need a dose of reality, my overall approach and outlook is, is I, I, I do want it to a degree <laughs> – make it clear that there are things that they're not doing and maybe even things that they are doing that are kind of creating these issues, but I don't want to beat them up over it. So if they're coming to me for help, I I, I want to kind of not necessarily say, listen, your relationship is horrible because then that almost gets us off on, on like a wrong foot where they are like but you don't yeah. understand like my dog loves me I love my dog mm-hmm. so I'm not trying to like offend them and if someone told that to me like I wouldn't care I'd be like oh wow okay how do I get it better but we live in a world today where like people are they tend to be very very emotional so yeah. um, wording is very very important it's like listen you, you know or I would rather tell them that their relationship could be better than, than tell yeah. them their relationship it's yeah. absolute <laughs> crap but once we get to a good place then I can start to kind of call things how it is because they relationship wise between me and them, they understand what I'm about, and what my goals are. So they're not getting offended or defensive. And it's something that's interesting uh, about that approach is it's not very different from my approach to dog training. Um, There are a, a lot of what I'm known for and my team is known for is any breed, any size, any problem, any dog and in the dog training world. And just in general, humans don't tend to be um, proactive, right? So Mm -hmm. you, you don't, you don't start, flossing until you've had a root canal or two. You you don't, Mm -hmm. you know, really watch your speed limit on the highway until you get a couple of speed tickets and you realize Mm -hmm. they're in force. You don't quit smoking until you have emphysema. And and, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people don't seek dog training until they find that they need it. Mm -hmm. So when we're getting these dogs, we're not getting these dogs from scratch. You, You know, like in an ideal world, everyone would would follow Michael Ellis's dog training system because you're raising a puppy from like the womb up until you get to a certain place mm-hmm. and you have the time and, and, you know, you can do these things. Unfortunately, a lot of people are getting dogs late in the game or they're raising dogs and they're not starting until they get to to their, their second root canal, quote unquote, mm-hmm. or, or, or this or that. So now they're realizing where they are and we're getting these dogs that have practiced months if not years of acting a certain way nice. so now we have to be the strangers to to disagree and teach them a new way we want to make sure that before we criticize them and tell them listen everything that you're doing sucks like the relationship mm-hmm. we, we, we want to make sure that they're having fun so i have a little bit of a, a system which is uh what i call it is dog tricks um, and dog obedience and my belief is that in order to achieve a real world obedient dog you need to um be able to have a mixture of both dog tricks and dog obedience so dog tricks is something that is fun it's something that is preferable it's something that a dog really, really enjoys and, and wants to do, right? So what I mean by that, and it all boils down to teaching a dog that their choices matter. That, that's, mm-hmm. that, that, that's a big one. If they're aware that their actions get them good things and get them bad things, then they start actually thinking about their behaviors versus acting impulsively like an undomesticated animal. Like, we, we want to kind of domesticate these dogs to the world that they're living in, right? So dog tricks is sort of like if you and I had a child together and his name was, was uh, Brad, we say, hey, Brad, if you want to go hang out with your friends, you totally can. But first, you have to make yourself a bowl of ice cream. Now, for the, for the vast majority of kids, that's not going to be a big deal. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, no problem. They're going to run to the ice cream bowl and they're going to do it and they're going to go because they wanted the ice cream. Right. So so it's sort of like it's uncontested, but Mm -hmm. we get them to a point where they really love it. They really enjoy it. They start understanding it. It's almost like teaching, teaching a a child um, the the sport of football who's a very insecure kid. I'm not going to throw him into the wild and have Mm -hmm. him get like like destroyed. You know what I mean? I'm not going to coach him like like a super bowl coach and i'm not sure if you've seen super bowl coaches by the way like when they're yelling and 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 sort of cursing and hey you need to get your ass on that i'm yeah. not sure uh, what we can say and yeah, the sure. thing is those athletes are prepped to handle that Right? right a lot of kids who are insecure for for learning football they're like well my you know my my parent enrolled me in this and i'm not really good <laughs> at anything like i don't want to i don't want to de- destroy that kid i want to do something easy and build him up and mm-hmm. go oh wow that wasn't that bad and get him craving a little bit more right. and wanting to come back to practice and wanting to do this and really enjoying it because once he does he won't mind getting criticized like if i really enjoy playing hockey and I'm doing something wrong, I actually have a desire to fix it. You know what I mean? I want to mm-hmm. please, I want to do what's right. But if I don't enjoy the sport, don't work on me with my free throws. Like I don't even want to be here. Yeah. You see what I mean? So yeah, it's yeah. really, really important to kind of build that and create um, a dog tricks like environment before switching to dog obedience. Now dog obedience, if we had that same kid, Brad, we say, Hey, Brad, buddy, you totally can hang out with your friends, but first you have to do the dishes and take out the trash. Right. Now, again, unless the kid is an absolute weirdo, I don't, many, I don't know many kids who are jumping for joy to do that, right? Mm-hmm. But what they learn through dog tricks is that their choices matter, and they got to hang out with their friends previously for making a bowl of ice cream. So I don't want to do it, but I'll do it because paying attention to you and following a direction actually benefits me. Right. Now... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God.
1: No, 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 it's fine. Um, sorry to so interrupt. W- go ahead.
2: W- what I was going to say is um, achieving real world obedience in real world situations, there's going to be times where you ask your dog to do something and they go, yeah, no problem. But when you're in a world that is not a sterile box, right. when, w- when you're in a world that has distractions that sometimes you cannot control, there are going to be times where you ask your dog to do something and they might want to do something else. That could be, go smell this when you're telling them to lay down. That could be, don't do this when you want this. And Mm -hmm. if you don't practice dog obedience regularly, they wanna just go hang out with their friends, but hey, first you gotta do this and do this. If you don't get them taking direction, you're going to fail in the real world because the belief that you can train in a way where something is preferable Awesome. You're right about that, but the belief that you can do it in a way where the dog will always make the right choice, even if they know the right choices, I think it's unfair to hold them to that standard because often, as humans, we know what the right choice is to make and we still don't do it. You know, you should have went to bed earlier. You know, you right. shouldn't have had that last drink. You know that you should have done your homework, but now in the morning you're scrambling to kind of do it, and all of these things sort of happen even though we know what the right choice is to make so why would we hold dogs to a higher standard i think it's unfair mm-hmm. you know yeah so that's Discipl- it yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: D- discipline uh checks and balances it sounds like um you know what you're talking about is is a lot of building building a relationship and building confidence in the dog to to let them know that the relationship swings both ways and it's not yeah. about it's not about the dog coming in and um you know in the dog training industry which is which is a very um for me it's it's particularly just it's very hard to be to be in sometimes because there are like you said before. There's so many different people kind of getting into the industry that are um, trying to specialize in things that maybe they're not great at, and and then um, you know opening up a business and saying, hey, I'm a business, I'm a professional, I'm insured, I pay taxes, and then a, and a dog comes in, and then that person potentially, you know, say you have an insecure dog that comes in, and then you get Joe Schmo that's militant and 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 drives the the dog down, just like a, just like what you were saying with a kid that you know, really isn't capable to be athletic and really isn't capable to be competitive. And they get into the ring with somebody who's yelling and screaming at them like the Super Bowl coach, and then they shut down. Yeah. And that that ruins the experience for for the dog. And, and it also ruins the experience for the owner. And it could be very detrimental to the relationship. So
2: for sure, for sure, e- even on, in its most simple kind of um, right uh, form, you're you're looking at a dog that I'm not saying you can't get a dog that's that's compliant. You can still get a compliant dog, but at what cost? Because yeah. now your dog doesn't enjoy being there. Like you see when you're asking for commands, there's yeah. there's no real enthusiasm. So I, I, you'll notice that when you train in a way, when you're building up, you can get dogs to do things and either absolutely love it and, 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 and really be enthusiastic about taking direction because they understand the communication is clear. They actually know what you're asking of them. Yeah. And even if they like, they're not super gun ho they don't mind one bit because it's just another day. Mm-hmm. If you're practicing every day and you're training every day, nothing changes when you're faced with a distraction. It's just communication. Nope, I'd rather you do this. And the dog's like, cool, thanks for letting me know in this yeah. time because I was interested. So the more I can give my dog that feedback, the better somewhere along the lines of correction became a bad word. And yeah. it's so weird to me because yep. like correcting is like, you're literally fixing, fixing something right. that is wrong. If mm-hmm. I'm doing something that's wrong and like, I'm your secretary or your admin, I, I would be actually upset if you didn't tell me, mm-hmm. you, you know what I mean? Like the, the whole belief that you can reward the good, ignore the bad, and it's going to work 100% of <laughs> the time. You're very limited on on what that may or uh, may or may not work for. And I, I think that's, that's one of the things that we're sort of seeing in yeah. dog training is that we have extremists and yeah, yeah. extremists that, that understand. Other. Yeah. One way or the other. But even with that, it's like you have almost this like positive reinforcement only belief. And I think a lot of that comes from, and not everybody. Um, And I, I have mm-hmm. my beliefs on this. I, I don't want to jump uh, from this topic to this topic, but um, a lot of that comes from people that are just reading these things and understanding mm-hmm. the science behind things and saying, oh, wow, th- there's a, a heck of a lot that you can do with reinforcement in general. But then they'll call themselves positive reinforcement only, which and then and then back the word science based when scientifically you cannot train with positive reinforcement only like that quadrant comes with negative punishment. hmm. And, and people are like, well, I don't punish my dog, and it's like you absolutely do. <laughs> if, if if you tell your dog to sit, his butt hits the ground. You feed. What makes it positive is I'm adding something. That's all positive means in it, when we're talking about um, operant conditioning and mm-hmm. and um, the four quadrants. And which, by the way, operant conditioning actually translates. The definition of what that means is learning through consequence.
1: Exactly.
2: So so when when you feed your dog for their butt hitting the ground, me adding something is what makes it positive. Mm -hmm. Negative doesn't mean bad. Negative means you're removing something. So a lot of people are getting sold or tricked into the belief that positive means good and negative means bad, but not in this context. So what happens is like people understand, okay, well, you can teach a lot with reinforcement. But again, going back to, I, I tell my dog to sit, his butt hits the ground. I'm adding food. I'm adding food in the hopes that it's going to reinforce the choice or the behavior he just made. But then the next time around, my dog jumps up on me. Obviously, I'm not going to feed him. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't add a no, even if I don't add a, a, a leash correction or something, if I simply withhold my food, I was just feeding you every time your butt hit the ground. And now I withheld because you jumped up on me. That is the definition of negative punishment. Exactly. I'm removing something, food, to to discourage, or I'm losing the word, um, one, you're, you're increasing or decreasing, to decrease the likelihood of you repeating that behavior. Mm-hmm. That's punishment. So uh, a lot of people get caught up in wordplay with corrections and, and the word punishment. We have to understand what punishment means. It shouldn't be associated with abuse. Punishment right. is anything that will decrease the likelihood of, of a dog repeating a behavior. So. It's really interesting. You have these extremists that believe that just reinforcement or positive reinforcement is going to fix anything. And they understand the benefits of teaching because reinforcement based techniques are, do a really good job of teaching behaviors. When you're looking at punishment, punishment tends to do a really good job at um, creating inhibition or creating some form of hesitation. So mm-hmm. what you have are people that go, well, I'm just going to teach preferable behaviors and that's going to be good and then when the dog chooses not to do it even when they know it they're kind of stuck so -hmm. they plateau and they stay caught teaching things that was that are already taught like the dog is no longer learning because you've taught these things and then you have people that go oh well you need to correct this behavior and correct that behavior and to an extent they're right they understand the benefit of corrections but they're going all crazy correcting things that were never taught right see what I mean? Like I, mean, I, I it, it's crazy to, to correct or, or, or punish or penalize a dog or hold them accountable to a rule set that you never taught them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, just to touch base on that too, it's, it's a great, great, great point. That was a great statement. And, um, for the, for the listeners out there, um, you know, listening that, um, aren't familiar with some of the dog training lingo, basically what Blake's saying is, is, uh, it's the same thing with what I tell my clients. I, I start talking about discipline and corrections, and I say it's not, it's not kicking your dog or shaming them or throwing them against the wall or, or any of these things. It's, it's simply teaching the dog that they've done something wrong, and it kind of relates to what you were saying earlier about getting a speeding ticket for speeding. That's a correction. Yeah. That's, that's teaching them that you're going to get something negative if you don't comply to the rules. And um, I think what happens, Blake, and you can chime in on this too, is it, it the dog training world or the dog world in general has become such a saturated market with marketing that people will go out and say, we are purely positive. And there's some people out there that, like you said, love their dogs so much but don't have leadership so their relationship isn't great and they're actually doing more good than bad. I call that killing them with kindness. And Mm -hmm. they go and they search, I love my dog so much, I never want to correct them, I never want to hurt them, because they assume that corrections, punishment, or any of these things Mm -hmm. are are a negative, uh, painful thing, and they're certainly not – and so what we're talking about here is uh, positive, positive reinforcement is, is – think of it as a math equation. You're adding something to the mix to associate or reinforce the behavior you'd like. And then negative reinforcement or negative punishment, depending on wh- what type of training you're looking at, uh, doesn't always have to be an association of pain or discomfort. It could be simply taking away the food or taking away the ball or taking away the tug. And the dog says, yeah. well, I don't love that. I want to do what I got before. And then you're teaching them through that. And I think what's yeah. happened is – um, it's, it's a marketing scheme at this point. And I've seen uh, certain training companies come out and say, we're purely positive we're hundred percent natural. We do natural dog training, all these things. And, but they don't, they don't believe or preach or practice corrections. And I think one of them, one of the most natural things, and the dog world is actually corrections. And if you watch dogs play in daycare, they correct and reinforce behaviors and, and, and try to fix them all day. So one of the most natural things you can actually do to a dog is correct them by telling them that what they're doing is wrong and they don't want it to happen again.
2: Yeah, and, and, and going into that, you have to be able to reinforce certain tools to, uh, as well because what tools are are languages. So if I just put a certain tool on a dog and they're not familiar with that language I, I might attempt to correct but it might not be effective so it, it also is very important to kind of get dogs familiar with these languages before you decide to maybe kind of, of quote-unquote yell, yell at them in that language and I, I think people um they, they just don't realize that at this point dog training because it's an unregulated industry mm-hmm. you have people that that can just follow trends for sales. They're going to use exactly. the word organic, or they're going to use the word science-based, or they're going to use the word positive reinforcement. And what happens is you'll get the sale, but you're not realizing that you are limiting yourself on your abilities to help the dog, because you have one tool that can do a lot of good things, but you are it's one tool in a toolbox that you're claiming is universal, but there are limits to every tool, even within specialists. Within these tools, mm-hmm. going back to like kind of the, the UFC, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it's it, it's a little unfortunate that people aren't as proactive. But what I found is in general, once I've had these clients and their their word of mouth is starting to lead to people that are coming before problems are arising, which mm-hmm. is really nice. Or they're getting their second dog and they're realizing that uh, essentially bad dogs need training, but good dogs deserve it. So like dog mm-hmm. training isn't just for bad dogs, right. you, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and that's that's what we kind of want to change. We want people being a little bit pro, more proactive so that they can um, they can jump on top of these things before things happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that that's, that's a great, that's another great point. It's very, it's very, very uh, important for people to understand that um, just because you don't have issues with your, and, and basically what you're saying, Blake, it, it sounds like is basically if, if just because you're not having issues doesn't mean your dog doesn't want or need training. I mean, it's, it's a really fun relationship building thing. And I think it's really important for people to get out there and and work their dogs, no matter what the circumstances are, even if they're not, you know, bad, don't, don't wait until you get that root canal. Don't, don't wait until you get that speeding ticket, be proactive and get in and say, I don't want to, I don't want to – and I think – and I deal with a lot of the same stuff it sounds like too um, as far as training goes is um, we deal with the dogs that are already – have been conditioned for two years on a bunch of bad behavior and then, oops, they bit somebody or, oops, they got hit mm-hmm. by a car because they wouldn't come back. And then we have to go in and, and take two years of you know, bad work and try to, try to counter-condition it and bring it back to reality a little bit.
2: Within a small period of time, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, which which is tough sometimes. Um, You know, that's another thing that I'm trying to kind of change uh, in, in the industry is, is people kind of just elongating things and people taking more time and, and calling things how you see it. Because right now, a lot of dog training is based around a two week board and train or an hour session yeah, and, and not more. being not being clear about what our expectations or goals are within this hour session. If you're morbidly obese, you don't go to the gym once and expect to have a beach body.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly.
2: You you know know what I mean? It's really, really important that people sort of understand. And if you're going to do a board and train, like our board and trains are three, six and eight week programs. Three weeks are for like dogs that maybe are a little bit knuckleheady, but like don't have any real deep rooted issues. Like they, they, we call them Marley and me dogs. Right. But You have six and eight weeks for dogs that are, are, you know, have behavioral issues. And now we have to teach the dogs the same fundamentals, the same language. And that takes just as much time as it does for any dog. And if not, if not a little bit more, and then we have to use that language to then begin to problem solve, Mm -hmm. but you can't problem solve without having fundamentals. You you know what I mean? And and that's what we want to do. Yeah. And that's the real art of dog training is getting to a place where, you, you understand how to get to to a place and, and, and use these fundamentals and understand the science behind things. But similar to, like for me, dog training uh, is almost like dancing to the rhythm versus counting steps. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of clients, mm-hmm. when they're learning how to train their dogs, they're learning how to dance. So initially they're counting steps. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to kind of break training down in a way that allows them to make mistakes safely, allows them to practice safely and kind of build them up to certain scenarios versus jumping right into it too often people say hey i want to be i i uh, for example just an analogy here mm-hmm. i want to be the the best boxer on the planet and i heard you were the best boxing coach throw me in a ring and coach me. and it's like whoa, whoa, whoa slow down like mm-hmm. we're, we're we're not starting there i'm not going to throw you in the mm-hmm. ring with me whether because i'm the best coach and when i say uh duck jab one two or whatever like you, you're going to know what to do we got to get you in the gym you got to learn how to hit the speed bag you got to learn the mm-hmm. fundamentals you have to learn this you have to 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 enjoy this and get to a place that in a heap of trouble or in moments of stress when you're actually in battle, When you're actually struggling with something and I'm yelling information to you, the information isn't stressing you out. Mm -hmm. It's actually helping to almost create like nostalgic. I don't know if nostalgic is the right word, but those memories that go, oh, yeah, I have been in this scenario. We have drilled this. So the yelling becomes reminders. That's a lot of what like dog training tools are, is if I have to maybe be a little bit firmer with this tool or that tool or my voice or whatever, you're so fluent in the language. That me yelling that information absolutely actually helps you versus stressing you out more.
1: Right. And it's not, and, and I think too, it's a great point. I think too, um, when you when you get into the muscle memory of hitting the speed bag and, and doing your steps and having the cardio and having the mental capacity to stand to go toe to toe to somebody, I think at the same time too, there's a, there's a there's a part of the 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 mind of, of actually the the fighter or the handler at that point um, that actually says, I remember all this, and even if yeah. the the coach on the sidelines is saying jab, duck, swerve, whatever, um, mm-hmm. that's that's innate. That's becoming innate to you because you've practiced you can't and and I I think that that's a great point is people come in and do the same thing and um I just sat down and had I actually just got back from working with Michael out west and uh, Michael Ellis and we we sat mm-hmm. down and had uh we had dinner a couple different times and that's one of his biggest things that I I, I took from working with him is um that's what he was saying is he's like it, it goes so much beyond Just coming in to to a person like you or or myself or Michael or somebody that's that's in the dog training world, and they say, "Here's give me five hours with you across a span of four weeks." help us and it's like man five hours out of your dog's life is really not going to be that detrimental i have to start working on you because we have to build your relationship with the dog we have to teach you how to jab we have to teach you how to do cardio
2: exactly yeah
1: then maybe we can get you into the ring and it's like this ongoing thing and um he said something just just because it's so fresh in my mind and you mentioned him um he had a a friend that wanted to do like a show with him or something. And for those of you who don't know Michael Ellis, he's a trainer out um, in California, Santa Rosa, California, that uh, he has a school for dog trainers and he's really great about delivering information.
2: Um, Yeah. Michael's awesome. He's a really nice guy too.
1: Yes. And, um, and one thing he said to the guy that wanted to kind of do the show is he said, look, it's going to be boring as hell because I'm not going to be Caesar and poke somebody and make a noise and change their life. Uh, That's not realistic to me. It doesn't make sense. And I was like, man, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, And so it is a timely process. And like you said about um, say you're overweight by a hundred pounds. Well, we as trainers or you go to somebody as a trainer they're going to tell you how to eat they're going to tell you how to work out they're going to tell you what not to eat but if you don't go out and and hit the bag and eat properly and do cardio and work out you're never going to get to your goal and i think and i think sometimes we take blame for that where people will come in like how are things Uh, not so great and i'm just like well that's that's probably on you because there's a lot of things that you know you could be doing that you're not and i think it comes down to just being lazy and things like that
2: and that, that also um, ties into for people who are listening that are dog trainers is, is how you attract the right type of clients. I'm very, mm-hmm. very realistic and I'm very, very upfront with expectations and stuff. And, and if, if you come to me and you say, hey, I'm looking to get back in shape and you're an out of shape athlete an out of shape athlete, I can probably start your first session and you're jogging five miles to get back in shape. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Versus mm-hmm. somebody who's not athletic and maybe overweight and stuff. And we go, okay, we're going to start with you walking two miles on the treadmill. So every dog is going to come in in a different place. What we have to teach, the, the fundamentals are, are, are still um, uh, a necessity, mm-hmm. but everyone's going to be at a different place. So for me, um, part of I I, I I try not to get involved too much, but every now and then I'll hop on Facebook or something and I see certain trainers that are struggling with their clients and this and, and getting them to be motivated and this and that. Listen, I'm for me, the type of client that I want is, is the type of client that knows what to expect moving forward. So mm-hmm. I'm painting this picture like, listen, this is not going to be easy. This is what it's going to take. This is what you're going to have to do. And I need someone who is like, level-headed and logical and, like, rational. Like, I, if you're going to kind of proceed and get started with me, I need you to be excited to change what you're currently doing
1: mm-hmm.
2: because, obviously, what you're currently doing is, is not working. And if you have this belief that you're going to come – pay me money. We're going to fix the dog and you're going to continue doing what you're doing and everything's going to be fine. That's the, that's the actual definition of a crazy person. <laughs> like somebody yeah. that, that, be- that believes that um, they want to change an output, but they don't want to change anything about the input. It, it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So for me, a, a lot of what I'm doing is I'm getting to a point where I'm, I'm giving these, these realistic expectations. And if someone knows what to expect and then is diving into it, I've prepped them for everything beautiful you, you know and unfortunately I feel that most dog trainers are struggling with clientele because they're not setting their clients up with realistic expectations. I'm going to I'll even turn clients down. Listen, this is what's going to what it's going to take. If you're ready for this, let's rock and roll. If you're not, that's fine, but we're here if you come around. The ball is always in my client's court. I'm not trying right. to sell people on stuff. I already know what works. I have like this is what we're doing. When you're ready, let me know. Like, I, I, I'm i not interested in the person that goes, listen, I want to lose weight, but I'm going to tell you right now, I want to find a little bit of a different approach. I hear you're the best, but you're big into changing people's diets and going into the gym. I kind of want to lose weight a different way. Then I'm going to tell them, well, then fi- find the trainer that can help you do that because that's not what I'm doing. I'm not going to get that sale and try to please that client for what they want. I'm mm-hmm. going to please them for what they're actually hiring for. So you have to kind of pitch yourself as a professional and pre- present yourself as a professional otherwise you have a lot of clients especially when you get to the point that you have like big money clients that mm-hmm. that have the idea that they're just going to pay you money and you're going to fix it and do it here's the money get it done for me here's the money get it done for me and yeah. you're not going to hire a personal fitness coach and say give me the muscles in the beach body you're going to mm-hmm. hire a personal fitness coach and then say okay where do we get started
1: Yep, it's the same yeah it's the same thing I talk about um musicians as well it's like here's the violin, help me play it It's like you gotta put in the work. I can play it beautifully and I can do all these things and I think that that's really important um and so i, I know that uh you're 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 crunched on time so really quick like um thank you so much for jumping on with me and the no Bad dogs podcast. I really appreciate it um and and I know that um are you are you doing the um the new project with Tyler mudo the um
2: Consider the dog. Consider yeah. The dog. Cool. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm jumping on that too. Um, I think, awesome. I think uh, here shortly as well. And so I hope to uh, meet up with you guys in the next couple, maybe this year and, and hang out and really catch up and um, really quick. Why don't you just tell um, the people out there that are listening, where to find you and how to find you on, on social media so they can get to know you a little bit more.
2: Awesome. Yeah. So I'm um, very big on social media. Everything is going to be the company name, dream come true K nine, um, letter K, number nine. So the website or just the initials for that? You have dctk canine com. Um, on Instagram, Dream Come True K nine. That's probably where we're most active. You can find us on Periscope. Um, my name is Blake Rodriguez. You can also search for that, um, Dream Come True K nine on Facebook and. Um, yeah, that's that's where you can find us. So where we're, we're posting a lot of what we're doing yeah, on YouTube as well. And we're really awesome. uh, using Instagram as a platform to, to kind of make you guys aware of all the social media platforms that we're using.
1: Very cool. Well, thanks again, Blake, for jumping on. And I hope to uh, hang out with you soon. And um, we will we'll wrap this up and let you get on with your day and uh, have a good day and stay safe and stay stay dry out there. It's a little rainy. In awesome. Man. Cool, man. Thanks.
2: Thanks for having me. Thanks, Blake.
1: Bye bye.